Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Despite a lengthy investigation and evidence left behind at the scene, there are cases authorities have been unable to solve for decades. For years, the perpetrators of these heinous crimes would continue with their lives as if nothing ever happened. It wasn't until recent developments with DNA technology that these cold cases have finally been cracked. Cold cases sold by DNA, this week, on Mysteriously Listed. Number 6. Tracy Hammerberg Tracy Hammerberg was born March 7, 1966, in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. During her childhood, her family would move frequently before settling in Sockville, Wisconsin, attending Port Washington High School. On December 15, 1984, 18-year-old Tracy was babysitting at a neighbour's house. Afterwards, she walked to a grocery store to meet her friends. Tracy and her friends then drove to Quaid's Tavern in Port Washington. Then she and her friends went to a party in Grafton. They drank beer and smoked weed. After midnight, Tracy left to walk home, four miles away. Unfortunately, Tracy would never make it back home. Her partially dressed body would later be found dumped on a snowy driveway on Maple Road in Grafton. She had head injuries. She'd also been sexually assaulted. The sheriff's department interviewed hundreds of witnesses, and despite blood and semen found at the scene, more than a hundred men were eliminated as suspects using DNA testing. In March 2019, investigators made use of genetic genealogy to help solve the case. They were able to create a DNA profile from skin that was found from underneath Tracy's fingernails. The FBI also offered their services to solve this long-term cold case. And finally, in August 2019, investigators were able to name who was responsible for ending Tracy's life. A man named Philip Cross... He was a Wisconsin man who passed away in 2012 of a drug overdose. He was 21 years old at the time of the murder. Those who knew him would report him to be abusive and aggressive towards others. He had a criminal record filled with violence, but he was not considered a suspect at the time of Tracy's murder. Investigators theorised that Cross offered Tracy a lift home that night, This was something Tracy would do often, except rides from strangers. It is believed Tracy rejected Cross's advances, which angered the man and he killed her. In a Facebook post, the sheriff's office confirmed that Tracy's killer had finally been identified, writing, quote, It's true. Nearly 35 years later, we have identified Tracy Hammerberg's killer through genetic genealogy DNA matching. 
Hashtag rest in peace, Tracy. Unquote. Number five, Bobby Witt and Mawang Wa Cho. In September 1998, a young boy's skull was found by workers mowing grass in Durham, North Carolina. DNA testing showed he had Asian and Caucasian parents, but he could not be identified further. He was dumped under a billboard, and he was known as the boy under the billboard. December 2018, genealogist Barbara Ray Venter matched the boy's DNA to DNA to a close relative, who had submitted the information to an online database. After contacting the relative, investigators learned the boy was 10-year-old Robert Adam Witt, or Bobby as his loved ones called him. Bobby's father, John Russell Witt, told authorities that 20 years earlier that Bobby and his mother, Myung Wa Cho, had left him. She told him she was taking Bobby and moving to South Korea to raise him there. Meanwhile, deputies in South Carolina had found an unidentified woman whose naked body was dumped in the woods in May of 1998. Her hands had been bound and she had been suffocated. After DNA testing confirmed the victims were mother and son, investigators in the United States enlisted the help of Korean authorities and international police to identify the woman as Myung Wa Cho. The family believed Witt's story that Myung had taken her son back to Korea to raise him there. They were shocked to discover that in fact they had both been murdered. In a statement released through the Orange County Sheriff's Office, the family said, quote, Our hearts are broken into a million pieces. We had no idea that Bobby and Myung were no longer with us and had not been for a very long time. Unquote. The question remained who was the killer, which was now in a Kentucky prison serving a long sentence for armed robbery. They again questioned him several times. He would finally confess to killing his wife and son. Orange County Sheriff Tim Horn said he had always kept the case file box under his desk, where it was purposely in his way. Every time he turned, he hit it with his leg. He did this so the little boy would never be forgotten. 4. Jessica Baggin On May 4, 1996, Jessica Baggin had finished celebrating her 17th birthday at her sister's house. Her parents' home was only about a mile away, so she decided to walk back home. It was around 1am, much later than her usual curfew, but given it was her birthday and she was with her sister, she had permission to stay out later. 
Initially, her parents weren't worried Jessica had not come home. They thought she was still celebrating and lost track of time. But as it got later, they feared that something may have happened to her, and they reported her missing to police. Jessica would never make it home that night, and she was never seen alive again. Two days later, police found a blouse, a green letterman's jacket, some jewellery and a sock near a bike path. All of these items of clothing would be identified as belonging to Jessica. Students would often use this bike path to get to and from the nearby college campus. A couple of hours later, Jessica's body was found in a wooded area not far from the bike path. She had been sexually assaulted and then strangled. Around her eyes were blackened, which suggested a blow to the face or head. A man by the name of Richard Bingham, a janitor employed at the nearby college, confessed to the crime within a week. Although he knew significant details, it would turn out that his confession was false. Bigham would later be acquitted by a jury in 1997 due to lack of physical evidence. Jessica's family hired a private investigator, but this yielded no results. Upwards of 100 DNA profiles were tested during the years, but no matches would be found, and sadly the case went cold. Then in 2019, investigators entered a sample of the suspect's DNA profile into a genetic genealogy website and used this result to track down a promising suspect. They finally had a name, Stephen Allen Branch. In August 2020, officers went to interview the then 66-year-old suspect in his home in Austin, Arkansas where he had moved in 2010. Branch denied any involvement, and he also declined to give a voluntary DNA sample to be tested against the profile they had. Records show that Branch had committed and been charged with an assault against another teenage girl in the same area the same year Jessica was murdered. Less than an hour after police spoke to him, Branch suicided in his home. As part of the autopsy, authorities collected a DNA sample to be tested against the profile found at the crime scene. It was a perfect match. Finally, after two decades and one false confession later, Jessica and her family had the answers they deserved. Number 3. Jodie Loomis August 23, 1972, Washington State. 20-year-old Jody Loomis was riding her bike from her home in Sonomish County to a stable where she planned to ride her horse. She was last seen crossing a highway before turning into a wooded side road. Less than an hour after she left her home at 5.30pm, two target shooters travelling up the same road stopped to move a fallen tree from their path. And that's when they found Jodie Loomis wearing only her underwear, socks and a pair of boots. She had been shot in the head and she was clinging to life. They took her to Stevens Memorial Hospital in Edmonds, where she would die from her injuries. An investigation at the time of her murder found Jodie had been shot with a 22 calibre weapon 
and that the bridle of her horse was missing from the crime scene. Her bicycle was thrown down a steep embankment. An autopsy found evidence that Jodie's clothing had been removed and that she'd been sexually assaulted, that it was likely she was starting to get dressed again when she had been shot. Some potential DNA was found on Jodie's boots, but as DNA technology was still in its infancy, they were unable to match it with anyone on record. 2019, someone was finally arrested for the crime, thanks to forensic genealogy. Parabon Nanolabs Incorporated, they tested the drop of semen on Jodie's boots. It was identified as belonging to 77-year-old Terence Miller, a retired heavy equipment operator. Miller had a history of sex crimes dating back to the 1960s, including molesting young girls and indecent exposure. Just as disturbing, he even married a 14-year-old girl when he was 18. His place of residence at the time of Jodie's murder was mere minutes away from where she would be found. With all this information, Miller was arrested in his home and charged with first-degree murder. He pleaded not guilty. Miller was out on bond when deputies received a phone call from a member of Miller's family. Miller had been found dead, presumably by suicide. Just a few hours after his death, a jury convicted him of first-degree murder. It took 46 years for the killer to be found. In the words of Sheriff Ty Tierney, quote, After more than 46 years of searching for her killer, we finally have some answers for Jodie's family. Thanks to relentless persistence of our cold case team and new DNA technology, we are one step closer to justice for Jodie, unquote. Number two, Mary Priya. Mary Priya and her husband, Leonard, lived in Flint, Michigan. They owned Sweet Mary's Candy Store for many years before selling it and moving to Linden to enjoy their retirement. In 1990, Leonard passed away, with Mary being supported by the local Catholic church, where she was a devout member. Linden residents would remember seeing Mary walking from her home to the town diner for lunch and dinner almost every day. On February 27, 1997, Michigan State Police canine teams taking part in training in the area found the 88-year-old great-grandmother's dead body in a wooded area near her home. She had been beaten, strangled and sexually assaulted. It was a crime that would shock the small, close-knit community. Investigators collected DNA from the crime scene that belonged to the suspect, They also conducted hundreds of interviews to gain evidence in the case, and they followed up on dozens of leads. Quickly, they zeroed in on 17-year-old high school student Michael Burr. He lived in a residence a short walk from Mary's home. Investigators took his DNA sample so that it could be stored. Unfortunately, DNA technology was not advanced enough at the time to confirm that his DNA matched that from the crime scene. And unfortunately, police could not gather enough evidence for probable cause either. 2021. 
The Genesee County Sheriff's Department partnered with the Michigan State Police Crime Lab. They were determined to solve the decades-old cold case. In November 2021, they were able to match the DNA found at the scene to that of Michael Burr. Genesee County Prosecutor David Leeton said the DNA evidence showed that a 1 in 1.9 octrillion chance that Burr was not responsible for what happened to Mary. Quote, Ultimately, what we all want here is closure for the victim's family. We want closure because when you lose a loved one in such a brutal manner, it never goes away from your mind. You never have a peaceful day when you can't stop thinking about it. Unquote. Burr is currently being held in Genesee Jail without bail. He is now scheduled for a probable cause hearing in Genesee County that will be held sometime early this year, date pending due to the current pandemic. It will be then prosecutors will lay out the evidence against him. Number 1. Janice Petropola and Lynn Seethaler Janice and Lynn were both 19-year-olds from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, who were on vacation in Virginia Beach. They were staying together in a small cottage right on the beach. The two girls enjoyed their vacation lying on the beach, visiting local places and just enjoying the sun. June 30, 1973 when the two women failed to show up for checkout at the end of the week-long stay, the motel clerk got worried and he called the police. What the police saw when they opened the door was gruesome. Janice and Lynn had been brutally murdered. Lynn had her throat slashed with a broken wine glass and had been shot twice in the face. Janice had been strangled, raped and shot three times in the face. Due to the amount of blood and violence, it was difficult for police to determine whether this was a targeted attack or just random. What they did know was, despite their belongings being thrown around the room, all the women's belongings were accounted for, so robbery was not the motive. The police thought they may have a serial killer on their hands. Between 1973 and 1985, 12 women with similar physical traits were murdered or went missing in the Virginia Beach area. Some of the women were killed in their homes and two were found floating in the ocean. Several other women vanished from the ocean front and they have never been found. Investigators interviewed two men who had dated the women but did not charge them with any crime. They would be among hundreds of people questioned and thousands of leads exhausted by 1988. The case eventually went cold. In 2018, the police received a tip that reopened the case again. It would take 46 years to solve the murders of Janice and Lynn. But then on April 5, 2019, Ernest Broadnax was arrested DNA evidence found at the crime scene was used to match Broadnax's profile in a national database. Broadnax was a military veteran who lived in Queens, New York. He had a lengthy criminal record with 14 arrests on charges including sexual assault, drug abuse and burglary. But no one knew he was capable of murder. 
When police arrived on Broadnax's doorstop, he did not resist arrest. It was as if he'd been waiting decades for this moment to come. He nodded and calmly got into the police car. After his arrest, police found more incriminating evidence at his apartment, evidence that has not been made public, but may connect him to 10 other deaths in the Virginia Beach area. This supports their initial theory back in the 1980s that Lynn and Janice may have been victims of a serial killer. In August 2019, while awaiting trial, Broadnax was medically diagnosed to be showing signs of dementia. However, in 2020, a court-ordered psychiatrist determined Broadnax to be fit to stand trial. But unfortunately, the current global pandemic has further delayed the trial. And while the prosecution remains optimistic the trial will go ahead and a conviction served, the young women's families are not as confident justice will be served. Quote, There is no justice in this for Janice, and that just kills us. It absolutely kills us. Unquote. Do you have something you would like to see mysteriously listed? Do you have a particular theme that interests you? Message us on Facebook at Mysteriously Listed and on Twitter at Mysterious List. If you like what you've heard today, we would love for you to share this episode on your social media of choice. And if you are listening on Apple Podcasts, we would appreciate it if you could leave a positive review and subscribe so you don't miss an episode. Research, additional writing and hosting is by me, Ali. Music is by Mayu. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 